0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be.
1: I'm going to quickly read a few gospel texts, and then Mark is going to read the text for Pentecost Sunday. John 20, 19 to 23 says, On the evening of that day, Easter Sunday, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, everybody say again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you don't, they're not Do you hear the sarcasm in Jesus' voice? If you forgive people, you're doing my work, and they'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive people, you're doing the devil's work, and they will not feel forgiven. So guess what we should be doing? Forgiving. The word of the Lord. Next one. Paraphrase there. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Listen. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The word of the Lord. From the book of
0: Acts, Acts uh, 2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came a heaven and a sound like a mighty Russian wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwellings in, or there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and that this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in our own native language? Perinthians, and Medes, and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Perugia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretins and Arabians, we hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said, they were filled with new wine. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show the wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. These people are not drunk, seeing as how it is only 9 a.m. Thank God this didn't happen at 3 p.m. Apparently the implication there is kind of funny to me. Maybe Jeff's the only one who understands this. They're not drunk. It's only 9. If it was 12, I'd have to think of a different argument for these people, but it's only 9. But isn't it funny that the Holy Spirit intoxicates you and makes you do things you wouldn't normally have done? How many want a dose of that so maybe we can get off the other vices and be filled with the Holy Spirit and do things? Maybe some other inhibitions would come down in our life and we'd learn to talk in the native language of the people who are most different than us if we were filled with the love of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I'll hold for applause. I don't need that applause, but those of us who feel the most alienated and ostracized by the secular culture need to hear groups of people say, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so I can learn to speak the language of those who are most different than me, because the church, when it does that, can bring a lot of comfort and restoration to the world around us. Amen? This is the day and season when the entire liturgical year happens fluently here And in our lives on a regular basis. Everything we've celebrated up to this point, Advent and Epiphany, Lent, Easter, and now what is called Ordinary Time or the Season of Pentecost, which is Ordinary Time. How many want the ordinary reality of our life to be a life filled with the Holy Spirit? Amen? As that would be ordinary. See, I think for too many of us, the moments being filled with the Holy Spirit is extraordinary, and that's a problem. We, we, we have it as an extraordinary moment because it doesn't happen often enough. If the Holy Spirit filled our life and filled us with manifestations of his gifts, his love, his care for other people, it would be ordinary and not extraordinary and the world around us would be better off because us being filled with the Spirit would be ordinary and it wouldn't be an outlying moment of grandiosity but it would be an everyday moment of servant love birthed from the cross by the followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what the world needs. The world does not need us to have extraordinary moments. The world needs us to be filled with the ordinary power of God for everyday life, not three hours on a Sunday. And I said three hours intentionally just now. There was a suddenly... In the midst of a liturgy, it said when the day of Pentecost had come. And in the Greek, it said when the day of Pentecost had fully arrived. And Jacqueline and I have talked to many of you in this room and many of you not in this room about how many people are feeling like our day-to-day grind is keeping us from experiencing the reality of God. Our routine is keeping us from experiencing the reality of God. And this day, this Pentecost Sunday, this text tells us that the Holy Spirit maintained the routines that he had given since Mount Sinai. Thousands of years before, he set up the feasts of the Lord. One of them was the Feast of Booths, which became the Feast of the Giving of the Law. And they celebrated it ritualistically, traditionally, always, and constantly. And the Holy Spirit waited until that liturgy was happening for there to be a suddenly, in the midst of, routine. When we are faithful to the routines that life has placed us in, we are then open to the suddenly of God. We think when I break my routine and I get some different time, that's when I'll be open to the experience of the suddenly of God. And that's not, that's not the case. The reality is when we're faithful to our routine and we realize your routine is not keeping you or limiting you from the suddenly burst of God's love in your life, it is preparing you for it. So if you think, I don't have a second to breathe, I don't have time to think, it's one thing to the next thing, I'm telling you right now, Pentecost Sunday says you are ready for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Not in spite of your routine, but in it. Because when he pours over, if he pulled you out of your routine and put you here and then poured his life on you, when you go back into your routine, all you would say every day is, I gotta get back out there. I gotta get away from this job. I gotta get away from these kids. And every mom and dad say, Amen. I gotta get away from all of this and I gotta get over here because that's where God poured himself out on me. But what happens when he pours himself out on you in the middle of your routine? that means that the thing that occupies your time the most all week is the place where the Holy Spirit pours himself out. Jesus was in deep routine when he chose when he would go to the cross. He did not die during the Day of Atonement, which most of our evangelical theology tells us, not implicitly, but it tells us that we, we, we treat it like he died during the Day of Atonement because we make the cross primarily about the forgiveness of sins. But he didn't die during the Day of Atonement. He died during the Feast of Passover. Well, what's the difference? The Day of Atonement is only about the forgiveness of sins, but the Passover is the feast that celebrates deliverance from the enemy that is causing us to commit those sins. So when we look at the routines that Jesus kept, we see deeper truths. We think the cross is only about the forgiveness of sins. It's about that, but it's about so much more than that. It's about deliverance from the enslavement to our own flesh that the devil has reaped on our life. And Jesus delivers us from that. So your routine matters. When he shows up in your life, look at what you're doing. Not, it's not just what he's saying that matters. It's when he's saying it to you that matters. You had a terrible day at work and the Holy Spirit, Spirit shows up and tells you something. It's not just what he told you. It's when that carries the DNA of the future of that word. He showed up at this time in my life, on this day of the week, in this moment of this time in my life. That is as prophetic as what he says. 3,000 people died on Mount Sinai during the giving of the law when they disobeyed God. And 3,000 people were saved in Acts chapter 2 after the Holy Spirit came and brought the new law. That matters. Because the new covenant does not condemn you or enslave you. It frees you and it restores you. And every person who died under the giving of the law was resurrected in Acts chapter 2. That matters. Just so you know, I'm going to assume that you're doing the whole processing thing. Because this is good. (laughs) I rarely ever say it, but this is good. So I assume that the dead silence is you desperately trying to process this amazing information. Fair enough? The spirit, Mary Magdalene, could not anoint the body of Jesus because the Sabbath kept her from going that day. Has anybody in this room felt like your routine is keeping you from doing something important in life? Has, have you ever felt limited by your routines? It turns out her routine kept her from anointing a dead thing and instead she experienced a very alive Jesus the next day. So what if we pivot and say, my routine is not keeping me from things, it's protecting me from things. What you think is a demon in your life of a schedule might be the very thing that God is using to point you in the right direction that you wouldn't have gone in if you didn't have that routine. Come on, don't rebuke the blessings of God when they don't look like blessings the way you want to be blessed. I have to wait for three false applauses now that I made all those comments. <laughs> the spirit in Genesis chapter 1 hovers over the face of chaos. Clap here. Does anybody's life feel chaotic sometimes? It hovered over nothingness. We have talked to countless people in this room that feel like they're losing their identity. They're a shadow of who they used to be. There's nothingness. And the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1 hovers over that nothingness and creates in it, not apart from it and not in spite of it, in it, he creates the first temple in the Bible, which is creation. This is why David says he has hung a light in the great tabernacle of heaven. So in your chaos, in your nothingness, in the midst of your losing yourself, as Stephanie so eloquently said on Mother's Day, the Holy Spirit comes and doesn't take you away from that chaos and nothingness. He births a new temple in you in the midst of it. You don't have to move to experience the grace of God in your life. Take that sentence however you want it's tough to be friends with so many people in the room because there are just inside jokes like barreling around in my head constantly so we're just going to move on from that one because I did not mean that the way that somebody may have taken that in the room I love you all so very much we love you too, Pastor but thank you, I appreciate it the Holy Spirit hovers over the tabernacle in Exodus and fills it with his presence telling us that That what's important is not how well we build something. What's important is the God who inhabits what we build. So if you feel like your home is less than, your car is less than, your clothes are less than, the value of those things are not the items themselves, but the Holy Spirit that fills the person who's living in those clothes, driving that car, and living in that home. Your home is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you can do as much work there as can be done in this room. There is nothing limiting you except people's secular mindsets, which need to be destroyed anyway. The Holy Spirit hovered over the womb of Mary and created a third temple. A person became the perfect holding place. Not because she was perfect, but because the baby inside of her sanctified her perfectly while he was there. Because when Jesus touches things, they become whole. Maybe some of you think there's nothing good in this life that I can birth or present or offer. Just wait till the Holy Spirit hovers over you. Your breath will be taken away by how much you can produce when the Holy Spirit hovers over you. In Acts chapter 2, the day we're celebrating today, the birthday of the church, look at your neighbor and say you look good for 2,000 years old. Spry. The Holy Spirit hovered over the church and we became, as a body, the next temple of the Holy Spirit. Creation was the first temple. The tabernacle was the next one. The temple was the next one. Mary's body was the next one. And now, we, as a church, are the next one. And individually, we are stones that are put together to be that temple. Does anybody remember the story where Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, Would you look at the stones on this temple? Didn't Herod do such a good job? And Jesus is like, have I taught you nothing? He said, these are going to be thrown down, just so you know. But you know what I think happens now in heaven? This is my musing. Peter said to Jesus, would you look at these stones, how beautiful they are? And Jesus is like, shh, stop. These things are falling apart. But I feel like in heaven, Jesus is saying, Peter, come here. Look at all of my people. You see how beautiful these stones are? This is, these are the stones that I had in mind all along. And he shows you to Peter the way that Peter showed the stones to him. He's bragging on you. He's talking about you. He's enamored with you. And it's time that we start believing what he says about us because sometimes I think we treat ourselves far worse than he's treating us. We'll come out of the clouds for a second here. Here's a quote from me. (laughs) I didn't know how to transition into that very well. (laughs) When love informs function, responsibility is birthed. When function informs love, law is created. In other words, when what somebody's supposed to do becomes the means by which I express my love to them, I create a law. If my daughter thinks that her value to me is rooted in her functionality, I'm destroying her soul. Is she gonna frustrate me sometimes? See. She's frustrated me a lot of times today during the service. This one. The one we're in now. There's going to be times where I'm happy with what she's doing. There's going to be times where I'm frustrated with what she's doing right now. There's going to be... But here's the thing, her value will never rise or fall ever in my life because when it comes to value, she is her own value to me. Her value doesn't get better with good behavior, it doesn't get worse with bad behavior, it's because I value her that my will toward her ebbs and flows in terms of what I want from her, what I want to see her doing. But her value doesn't change at all. This is why when Jesus was baptized, the father said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased when Jesus hadn't done anything yet. But then when Jesus went into the wilderness, Satan said, if you're the son of God, perform. Because Satan wants us to think that our function is what makes us valuable to God. But God is saying, you were already valuable to me before you ever functioned at all. Your function does not determine your value. My love for you will inform your function so it can be holy. As we say all the time, because we're not working for love, we're working from love in our life. And everyone in our lives should know that our love for them is never in competition with their behaviors. It transcends them. It's bigger than them. Let's put up that picture of Thea. I was trying to do some yard work. Yes, Jacqueline left, and I was like, when she comes back, I'm going to increase this flower bed to be the whole size of the front of our house. And I was shoveling grass, which is such a fun thing to do. You think shoveling snow is fun? Try shoveling grass. God did a good job when he put grass in the ground. So I'm over there shoveling grass, and Theodore was standing in between me, the earth, the shovel, and the wheelbarrow. Which, can I have an ADD moment for a second, please? Can we please normalize calling it wheelbarrow? What is barrow? That's the dumbest word. It's a wheelbarrow, it's a barrel on wheels. I can't stand that it's called barrow, it makes no sense. I want to. Does somebody know somebody? The dumbest word, barrow. So it's a barrel. You put stuff in it. All right, anyway, back to reality. So shoveling grass, and Theo is standing in the way. Here's the thing. He's in the way. So look, I have three options. Option number one, hit him in the head with the shovel. That is not an option. That's not an option. You can't do that. Just keep shoveling, and if he's in the way, he'll learn not to be like, You can't do that. Can't do that. Option number two, and the more evil option, is tell him, communicate to him that I want him here as long as he stays out of the way of what I'm doing. So that he learns from a young age that what dad is doing. Is more important than him so he can stay on the outskirts of what I'm doing and be around me as long as he doesn't get in the way of what I'm doing. Because some of us have been taught to raise kids that make being an adult easy. When if we're treating kids the way they should be treated, they should make being an adult impossible. We're gonna learn a lot about this when we talk about baptism for the next few weeks having a better view of our children. Because their value is not rooted in their ability to choose. Their value is rooted in who they are today. Today. So look at the picture. Look in the background. You see that little golf cart back there? I'm standing where I'm standing, taking the picture. There's my wheelbarrow. Nauseating word. And then behind it, is Theo's little golf cart, and it dawns on me, I'm about to say, Theo, stand over here so I can do this. And then I realize he pulled that up next to the wheelbarrow. And I'm like, wow. He's mimicking me. He's doing what I'm doing. He's in the dirt with me. He's in life with me. I'm not going to have too long where Theodore wants to be doing yard work with me, let alone being around me at all. But something hit me about Pentecost Sunday. In this moment, I need my love to inform my function because I don't want my functionality to inform my love. I want my love for him to be able to interrupt my function and expand it. I didn't get the job done that day. If I was by myself, I would have gotten it done. I didn't get it done that day. But I got a lot of other more important work done that day. Because love was informing my function in that moment. Let's go to the 1 Corinthians chart. If you've ever been taught about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts that come to us on the day of Pentecost, Paul talks about them most clearly in 1 Corinthians 12 and in 1 Corinthians uh, 14. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, we find the gifts, the manifestational gifts of the Holy Spirit and lengthy teachings on how they are to be used in a way that is decent and in order. This is where the teaching of the gifts of the Spirit come from. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. But Paul, doing things the way I wouldn't have done them, interrupts his teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit with this little section in the Bible we call 1 Corinthians 13. Does anybody know anything from 1 Corinthians 13? Love is and... Does anybody have a tattoo of 1 Corinthians 13? (laughs) Has anybody had 1 Corinthians 13 read at their wedding or heard it read at a wedding? I've read it. I think I read it at your wedding, actually. Yeah, I did. Thanks for including me. I appreciate it. Paul is talking about here's the gifts of the Spirit and here's how they work. And then he talks about love and then he talks about here's the gifts of the Spirit and how they work. And I was thinking about this this week. Why would you interrupt? Why wouldn't you have just done 1 Corinthians 13 first and made that 12, talked about love, and then talked about the gifts of the Spirit? Why didn't you do that? And then I had this image that you're looking at now pop into my mind. 1 Corinthians twelve. 13 and 14 actually are Paul's metaphor of the three crosses on Good Friday. Why? Because 12 and 14 are how we function in the spirit. But 13 is love reaching out to 12 and love reaching out to 14. Because as he says in 1 Corinthians 13:1 through 4, if I speak in the tongues of angels and of men, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I give my body to be burned, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I speak in the tongues of angels and of men, and if I give my body to be burned, and if I prophesy, but I have not love, it wasn't the Holy Spirit causing me to do those things. Because love informs our function. So if we think the Holy Spirit comes upon us so that we can tell everybody how wrong they are and what's wrong in their life and constantly have a word that's never positive. You ever met a prophet in the church? They never say anything nice. I would like a prophecy where somebody just says, "The Holy Spirit wants me to tell you you look handsome today." Thank you. <laughs> it's always there's something in your life that the Holy Spirit wants you to get rid of. Okay, duh. Of course. Of course there is. Can you ever say something nice? Like, hey, you look Ike today. You look good. Great job on the lawn. You know, something like that. The cross reaches out to each criminal because when love doesn't inform the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we become robbers and thieves. Because when the cross isn't informing how the Holy Spirit functions in our life, we don't, we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You ready? We use the Holy Spirit. And whenever we use the Holy Spirit, we steal from people. We steal their joy. We steal their security. We steal their self-confidence. But whenever love is informing how the Spirit functions we give people gift of life and mercy and forgiveness and encouragement this is why it says in john 7 the spirit had not yet been given because christ had not yet been uh, because it says because christ had not yet been glorified which in john's gospel his glory is the cross And so we can't know how the Holy Spirit functions until we see Jesus on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, is what the gifts of the Spirit look like all at once. If somebody is speaking over your life and claiming that it's the Holy Spirit, if it's not doing the atoning, forgiving, delivering work of Good Friday, it is not from the Spirit. If it's making you feel small and less than, it is not from the Spirit. If it's telling you in so many words that your value to God is rooted in your behavior and not in your body, it's not from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's gifts always point people back to Good Friday and reminds them that love is patient, kind. You ready for this one? Think Just for fun, just think of people who have prophesied over you. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Somebody didn't get that memo when I was growing up. Everybody seemed all too excited when they knew what I was doing wrong. Did you hear what he's doing wrong? Yes, I get to prophesy to him. Guess what? It's like, whoa. One of the second times I got prophesied over here, the prophet who was here told Ian to shut the microphone off. Like, what are you about to tell me? And then I was like, actually, that's dope that you did that because I don't want anybody to hear what you might be telling me. But when he's got to be like, you know what, Elizabeth, Laura wants me to tell you something. Ian, can you kill the mic? Like, you're like, why? Why? The Holy Spirit doesn't make you feel embarrassed. The Holy Spirit doesn't humiliate you. And when it's working through you, it's working through you to give people agency and humanity back, not take it from them. It does the work of Good Friday. Good Friday. The Holy Spirit, you ready, is a promise given by God, not a reward. The Holy Spirit is not a reward because you believe in him. Now you have the Holy Spirit. You want to know why? Because you couldn't believe in him without the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't believe in him without the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the only way to the Father is when you're drawn by the Holy Spirit, So, you can't believe in Him first and then earn the Holy Spirit. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't believe in Him. If you do believe in Him, it's because the Holy Spirit was working in you before you realized the Holy Spirit was working in you. You couldn't come to Him any other way than by the Holy Spirit. So, we don't treat the Holy Spirit like a reward, we treat her like a gift. It's not a reward, it's a promise. In closing, <clears throat> why is the Holy Spirit given twice? One in John 20 and once in Acts 2. lot of debate. A lot of fun, encouraging debate. A lot of possible answers. Next week and the weeks following, we're going to learn that if you're ever trying to find the answer in Scripture, you're always going to be wrong. If you're willing to find one of the many good possibilities, you're gonna live a much more free life. But whenever we think that there's one answer, one interpretation, we end up going to bad places because we get very controlling and very colonizing. I'll let that one hover out there. The Bible is not for us to mark our territory. The Bible is to inform us of all the different truths that encompass the truth. If the truth is infinite, then you're gonna be learning about it in all these different ways, but yet it'll still be the same truth that you're learning about. Just sidebar, whatever. Wheelbarrow, whatever. Holy Spirit's given twice. St. Augustine says this. The Holy Spirit's given twice, and I like the way that St. Augustine talks. He goes, people wanna know why the Holy Spirit was given twice. It seems obvious to me, and it's like, oh, does it? Good for you, St. Augustine. He says, it's given twice because when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, how many commandments did Jesus list? There are two great commandments. One is to love the, and the second one is to love, love God, love neighbor. Two great commandments that all the commandments hang on. And Augustine says, so of course Jesus would give the Holy Spirit twice. One for each of those two commandments. The first one in John 20 is the Spirit's gift for us to love the Father. Which sounds like this. Peace be with you. When Jesus says, peace be with you, it's the Father loving us, saying, no matter what you've done, we're good. And that love creates a love in us back to the Father, as Stephanie said today. The second time the Holy Spirit was given was given to love neighbor, which is why the first time it's given, it's given as peace, because that's our love for God and his love for us. The second time it's given, it's given as tongues, and people who were not a language spoke a new language so other people who were of that language could hear. So the first time it's given, it's given to love God, and the second time the Holy Spirit's given, it's given to love neighbor, and the Holy Spirit teaches us to speak the tongues of those who are different than we are. So the Holy Spirit's given twice, once to help us love the Father and once to help us love our neighbor by speaking the tongues of those who are different than we are. Willie James Jennings says this, Idols mark the boundary of difference, the wall of separation, and the point of divine hatred. I'm going to say that again. Willie James Jennings says, Idols mark the boundary of difference, the wall of separation, and the point of divine hatred. Death follows idolatry. And then he goes on to say, What do you say to those radically outside yourself, outside your theological vision? When your speech meets divine desire, not divine hate, The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say in order to create the new in and through your words. When we are drawing lines in the sand about... I'm of this tribe and you're of that tribe, whether it's rooted in race, whether it's rooted in gender, whether it's rooted in politics, whether it's rooted in Christian doctrine, whether it's rooted in who you think should get baptized, foreshadowing for next week, when it's rooted in those things, and you can only communicate with people who believe those things, and you can only worship with people who believe like you believe, it is idolatry, it is divine hatred, and it is causing us to set up walls that Jesus needs to keep marching around to knock them down like he did with Jericho but when the Holy Spirit has really come upon you he gives you words to speak that create life in other people and our shared differences are no longer points of contrast but they're points of beauty they're differentiations that makes looking at the landscape of the church gorgeous Everybody sees a view and you say, this view is so beautiful. You know why it's so beautiful? Because everything you're looking at is different. If everything looked the same, you wouldn't be able to tell what's near or what's far. But when it all looks so dramatically different, you can see everything in its own beauty and in the way that that beauty relates to other beauty. And it's the same with Christian doctrines about salvation, about baptism, about tongues, about the Holy Spirit, about the body when we surround ourselves by people who only think, live, act, eat, worship, dance, fellowship, whatever it is like we, we end up with, you can go over there and you can go over here. We end up with uniformity, not unity. John and Steph, you can come on up. So I close with this point again. I, I sat back at my desk this week and said, Lord, if this is true, if the Holy Spirit's gifts are really coming from the cross, then there must be tongues in the cross. There must be a point where tongues are spoken on Good Friday. I told Steph, I said, I'm going to show you how Acts chapter 2 exists on Good Friday. And Steph said, I can't wait to hear that. Because I think she doubted me, possibly. You're such a jokester, just stop. (laughs) I don't know how you get by. You are on the prayer chain, Steph, always and forever on the prayer chain. I was thinking about it, Lord, because the tongue spoken in Acts 2, it wasn't glossolalia. It wasn't the tongues of angels that were spoken in Acts chapter 2. It was specific languages that were spoken. So that other people of those specific languages could hear the worship of God in their native tongue. It redeems the Tower of Babel story. Where everybody wanted the same language because they wanted to build a building so they wouldn't be scattered. They wanted their kind here and everybody else's kind there. And the Holy Spirit confused their languages until the day of Pentecost. And then he restored our languages. You ready, Salem? Without restoring the difference, he gave us the ability to communicate with each other without making each other the same. The Holy Spirit is your way of communicating with somebody. You sit there and say, I can't relate to my kids anymore. This generation is so different. The Holy Spirit can give you the tongue of their generation so different generations can still communicate and speak to each other the wonderful works of God. In John 19, on Good Friday, there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and listen, it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Above Jesus' head, etched into the wood of the cross, were three different tongues. Jesus rose on what day? Three in the Bible is the number of resurrection and restoration. Hanging above Jesus' head was three languages, declaring that in the cross, all of human communicating was going to be restored, which means that the way to communicate in your marriage with your friends with your coworkers with your annoying pastor whatever it is whoever you're trying to communicate with is not to take communication classes it's to look at the cross whenever you're communicating with father forgive them i will never leave you or forsake you whenever you're communicating in cruciform love communication will flow into your home like it never has before. Only until we're willing to say, I won't get the last word, I love you, with issues hanging over our head like a weeping willow. And you just want to turn, I was going to say, you just want to needle the person a little bit more, and instead you speak the language of the cross. As Willie Jennings said in another place, God speaks humanity fluently. That's when we'll communicate because tongues, communication, exists in the cross. And where on the cross? Above Jesus' head. And where did the cloven tongues of fire show up in Acts chapter 2? Above the head. We are walking Manifestations of the gift of tongues. Everybody wants to talk about what's first evidence. What's first evidence? You know what first evidence is? The ability to love people who are different than you is the first evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let's stand to our feet this morning. What's the point of the Holy Spirit? When the Israelites were in the wilderness, they didn't believe, they stopped believing that there was a promised land. Have you been wandering in circles your whole life and once in a while, you're like, at the beginning, you're like, I know a better day is coming. And then all of a sudden, you've just been walking around in the heat of that wilderness, nothing growing for so long. You're like, maybe a better day is not coming. The Israelites got to that point where they didn't believe that a better day was coming. And so they sent spies into the promised land, and the spies brought back fruit. And they brought back fruit that was so amazing, they had to carry it on poles. They said, look, it's true. There really is a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at these grapes. They're gigantic. How wonderful it is. And Israel's spirit revives, and they say, wow, there really is a promised land. Well, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and we start to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, when we start to grow these realities in our life, you know what it is? We're showing the world that heaven really exists, and we're taking a little bit of heaven called patience, a little bit of heaven called self-control, a little bit of heaven called love, and we're bringing it into the wilderness of people's lives to say, keep on keeping on, because it's real and it's coming. And nothing describes the fruit of the Spirit more than the way Jesus lived his life on the night when he was betrayed. This meal is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. On the night when our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And he was patient and kind, long suffering, self controlled, didn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but knew he was the truth. on the night when his life shook all the way to the bottom. He was the fruit of heaven brought into the wilderness. They would even call him, when talking to Mary, the fruit of her womb, Jesus. He's heaven brought into the earth, not on a pole, but on a cross hanging there for us to see that there really is a world coming where forgiveness wins more than vengeance does. Where forgiveness wins more than violence does. Where forgiveness as costly and as devastating as it may be actually gives life in a tomb. And he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body which is offered for you. As often as you eat this bread, Eat it in remembrance of me. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you hover once again over the world, over this church, over your church, over our lives, and I pray that you hover over this meal and make it for your people, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him, and hover over us also, that you would speak forgiveness to our sins. And anoint us to walk into the wilderness when we leave here today, bearing the fruit of the Spirit for the life of the world. In your name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. Elder George will be over here. Elder Ron will be over here. Come and receive the love of God this morning.
0: Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.